Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. There was a movie made back in 2008. Most of you probably know this because it's already quite a bit old, but it's the movie called Taken. And um, I haven't seen the movie Taken or the other two sequels, but the premise of the movie actually intrigued me. Now, if you haven't seen it and you're planning to see it, go ahead and cover your ears because I'm going to spoil it for you, okay? And you go, oh, it's okay, I've seen it. Now, the main actor is Liam Neeson, and the plot of the movie somewhat reminds me a little bit of what we're going to study tonight in the book of Daniel. Let me give you the plot. 17-year-old Kim is the pride and joy of her father, Brian Mills. That's played by Neeson. Kim lives with her mother and her wealthy stepfather. Now, Kim manages to convince her reluctant father to allow her to travel to Paris with her friend, Amanda. When the girls arrive in Paris, they share a cab with a stranger, and Amanda lets it slip that they're alone in Paris. Well, fast forward, using the information, an Albanian gang of human traffickers kidnapped the girls, hence the title, Taken. These girls are taken, if you will, from everything they knew. They were sold with no hope. Kim happens to call her father for help, and when Brian contacts the kidnappers, he, kidnappers, he gives us some of the most memorable speeches in the movie. And he says this, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have any money. But what I do have is a very particular set of skills, skills I have acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. Anybody remember that part in the movie? Of course we do. Now, I haven't seen the movie, but apparently he saves her because they make two more movies called Taken. So obviously this family's not safe anywhere or they're just careless. You guys know what I mean. But not so with Daniel. Not so with Daniel and his friends. If you remember what we talked about last week, the name Daniel means um, God is my judge. And right now, Daniel is a statement in the core of the heathen monarchs. He and his friends were taken captives as youth to Babylon. If you're taking note, Babylon is modern-day Iraq. So if you want to get an idea, this is where it is, Babylon. They're about 16 years old, and they're taken by a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. They're taken in the year 605 B.C., okay? He and the fellows were taken, guess what? They were kidnapped by Nebuchadnezzar, but I want you to see, not for ransom money. Nebuchadnezzar's going to go, I'm going to take these young men, and I'm going to call their parents, and that's not why. But let me just say this, they were taken from... Israel from Judah, okay, stay with me, because God had determined it. And I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. But I want that to sink into your hearts, okay? I want, I, I want to grab some application out of here. Let me, let me say it again. He was taken, he was kidnapped by Nebuchadnezzar, but not for ransom money, but because God had determined it. You go, okay, what does that have to do with me? Here's why. I want you to apply that to your life. You see, sometimes in our lives, we go through some really hard stuff because God has determined it to glorify him. You see, oftentimes, if we're being honest in church, we're fed a false gospel. If you give your life to the Lord, everything's going to be super great. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to have the big house, the big car. You're going to have all this. You're going to have all this. And it's actually quite the opposite. As believers, we go through a lot of spiritual warfare. We go through a lot of trials. God will take us into some dark valleys so that he can grow us up. As a matter of fact, I was talking to Santos before church. And Santos, we were talking about a particular situation. And he said, hey, um, I really need patience. And I said, well, guess what? The only way we get patience is when God takes us through trials. But I don't think every one of us wakes up and go, okay, Lord, today I want to go through a trial. I'm ready. We don't. Nobody wants that. But that's really what produces the patience and the growth. But in your life today, if you're like a Daniel and you feel like, wow, could you imagine what he was thinking? What did I do? How did I get here? This is not how it's supposed to be. 
I'm 16 years old. I still have my life ahead of me. Yet God had determined it. And we're going to see that Babylon, the country, actually gets blessed because of Daniel. You go, Pastor, what should I do? Listen, listen. Here's what we do. You guys, we need to absorb and be just um, as close as we can to the Lord Jesus. We have to stay close to him. Absorb ourselves in his word. Walk with him daily. You guys remember in our A Heart Devoted to God study, we talked about the word walk with God, walk in his ways. And you remember, that's habitual. That's a habitual term saying we have to take active steps to grow in the Lord. And and, and here's the exhortation. You and me, we have to take those active steps to grow in the Lord. Nobody's going to be a super Christian, but we're going to be stronger in the word of God. We're going to grow in the word of God. It's, you're going to know it. You're going to know it. So Daniel was taken. But let me just say this to you. God's hand was over the whole situation. And I'll tell you this too. God's hand is over your situation tonight as well. He really is. Take a moment for just a second, close your eyes, and think, has God ever let you down? And you go, Ben, no. No. He hasn't. He's always provided. He's always come through. Even when we doubted, he's always come through. Can I get an amen on that? Just to make sure you're awake. Just to make sure you're awake. Now, Daniel. Daniel's taken, the record of events extends all the way to the third year of Cyrus in 536 BC. If you're taking note, this covers about 70 years. Okay? Now, what we need to grasp, and we talked about it last week, is Daniel spent the rest of his life in a foreign land waiting to go home. He wanted to go back to Jerusalem. And I thought, man, can we relate or what? Because we too are in a foreign land. We're not of the world. We're not of the world anymore. We're in a foreign land. And, and really what we want to do is go home. And I wonder if we were to interview Daniel, we'd say, Daniel, how many times were you here sick as you were homesick? How many times were you like, I am sick of Babylon? Ugh! And that's us. And I think, man, this is just, this is it. This is it, man. And yet, here's the thing. History suggests that Daniel died here at the age of 86 in Babylon. He never made it back home to Jerusalem. But the one thing you need to grasp, church, is that Daniel's life counted. It counted. He had a purpose. God had a plan. God didn't look and go, Oh, oh, (laughs) I forgot about Daniel. We better do something. God has been... Walk. That's how big our God is. That's how big. Where you are right now, you can trust that he's got his hand. He's got you in the palm of his hand, and he's walking you daily. You've got to be there. You've got to, you have to know. Well, what happens? Well, I wonder if Daniel freaked out what the next 70 years would look like. Or did he just take one day at a time trusting in the Lord? Wait, wait, wait. The Lord told me I'm going to die here? No! No, Daniel said, I'm going to just take one day. Lord, you're going to provide. You're going to provide. Listen, church, one day, if the Lord doesn't come back for us soon, you will go home. And for the believer, it is a sweet, sweet, sweet thing. It's a beautiful thing. You see, because it's not, it's not anything but us moving. We're moving. What happened to so-and-so? Well, he moved. He graduated. He's resting in the arms of the Lord. Isn't that great? That's really the goal. Our lives could be summed up with what the Apostle Paul told us. For me to live is Christ to die is gain. Listen, while we're here, we've got to work. It's a beautiful thing to work, to see the glory of the Lord, to see our friends get saved. But if we die, wow. Okay. 
Okay. So, a couple of things that we need to learn so we get a good understanding as, the, as these uh, events unfold. We have to ask the question. You ready? Jot this down. Why did the Lord give Judah into the hands of the Babylonians? Like, why? Remember, God determined it. We've got to ask that question. Why? Why? And I'll tell you why. Because that's really what we do in our lives. Whenever we go through a hard time, the very first question is not, oh, what should I learn? But it's, why am I going through this? Why, why, why? That's really our question. That's human nature. Why am I going through this? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? And really, that's the question. So we need to do some work. We need to really get it, okay? So why did the Lord give Judah? Why did, he, why did they come? Why is, why is Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and all of these, why are, they, why are they in the hands of the Babylonians? You ready? Number one, let me give you two reasons for their captivity. Number one, jot this down, it's so important, Israel's idolatry. That's the first one. Israel's idolatry. You see... This was clearly commended by God. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, it'll be on the screen. He says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or that is on earth or beneath that is in the water and the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to the thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You go, Ben, what are you saying? Here's the thing, guys. Israel was amazingly immersed in idolatry. Idolatry. I have to take a step back and go, Lord, search my heart. What am I worshiping? What's an idol in my life? You see, because here's the thing, guys. We're really sneaky people. We can take something very good and make it ultimate. We can take something that's really good and make it ultimate. You see, when people come to me and say, Pastor Ben, will you officiate our wedding? One of the prerequisites is I say, do you love God more than you love him? Do you love God more than you love her? Why? Because, again, here's the thing. You can take a beautiful relationship that God joined together, and you can make it ultimate, and all of a sudden your spouse then becomes an idol. And can I tell you that people make horrible gods? We can't live up to what our wife, what, God, what only God can be to her. Our wives can't live up to what only God can be to us, okay? And so Israel, they're, here they are, they're worshiping everything. And God commanded them. God says, hey, guys, no, 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 don't worship anything like that. Oh, no, 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 we're going to carve some idols. We're going to put a little statue. We're going we're gonna to have these tarifims. These are, these are idols, and we're going to worship, and we're going to pray to them, and we're going to hope that they... Seriously? Pastor, you're crazy because I don't do that. I don't. I don't take little idols and little, you know, little tarafims, and I don't put them up on the. And I don't worship them. No, no, no. Ours are a little bit more classy. You see, we we worship money. If I could just have a little bit more, we worship teams. We worship teams. We worship our spouses, and dare I say, we worship our kids. We and, and and I, I have to be careful because my grandkids are like they're my life, and I have to always ask myself. I need to be careful that I don't put them in a place. There, it's a good thing. Come on, church. Your kids are a good thing, but you can take them and put them in a place of ultimate, and that's an idol. Anything that you put above the Lord is an idol. And when you make something an idol, your life really is a bummer. Because you don't, you're, you're not living at the fullest. So again, number one, this is what God says, guys. You guys, you guys... You realize that Israel never struggled with idolatry after the 70 years of Babylon? 
read it. After Babylon, they never struggled with idolatry again. They were set. But the Lord had to. 70 years. Number two, listen, jot this down. Israel, a failure to observe the Sabbath for the land that he commanded in Leviticus 25, 1 through 7. Leviticus 25, 1 through 7, here's what he said. Hey, guys, every seventh year, why don't you let the land rest? For six years, I'm going to provide, and on the sixth year, I'm going to double that so you don't have to work on the seventh. I like that idea. Let's work hard for six years. Everybody take off the seventh, and we're just blessed. Can you imagine? And you know what they said? Listen, and this is something that humans struggle with. You ready? Israel decided they knew better than God. Come on, somebody, you got real quiet. Israel at this point said, no, 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 we know better than you, God. And I think a lot of people do that. No, 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 God, I I know better. God says, hey, no, 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 you need to rest. You need to keep the Sabbath. You need to, you need to have that Sabbath rest. You need to be part of the, um, the, the church. You need, you need these things. I know what you need. And a lot of us go, no, I know what's better. But guess what happened? Okay, Israel thought they knew better. So for 490 years, they planted, they harvest every single year. Guess what? 490 years divided by seven. God says, you owe me 70 years. What? That's how long they were in captivity so the land could rest. Right? Now, I want to show you something. For 490 years, Israel is plowing, they're planting, they're cultivating, they're growing. Hey, you should take the year off. No, 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 no. We, we got to make more money. We got to do Got to have it. Got to get that car. Got to get that house. Got to get that, whatever it might be. But, but listen, what happened? God says, no, 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 no. Listen, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, you need to let the land rest. 490 years, they didn't give, they didn't pay attention to God. And now God says, nope, here's what's going to happen. Babylon is going to come in. And he's going to take you away so the land could rest. You go, wow, that's deep, man. Well, let me just say this. Does this not show us that God always settles his accounts with those who refuse to respond to his warnings? Okay, think about it. This shows us God goes, I don't play. I have a warning for a reason and we can sit there and go, no, I don't think that's good, God. I, don't, I, I know better. I know better. And God says, okay, okay, okay. Well, let's chat. Let's chat about this, okay? Because this is heavy. Listen, for 490 years, God in his mercy allowed the land to produce crops. Okay, 490 years. So I want you for just a second to imagine how Israel felt on the seventh year came and they got just as much produce as the year before. You see, God didn't sit there and go, well, I'm going to burn all the crops down on the seventh year because I told you. God said, no, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. And what happened is that man, what did they do? Israel began to trust their own wisdom thinking they knew more than God. And I think man does that too. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, Genesis chapter 3, guess what? What did Satan ask Eve? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, reading from the New Living Translation, says this. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Did you see that? Do you see that? All of a sudden, thinking they know more than God. Now, here's the point. Here's the point. Just because we're not experiencing consequences for our disobedience doesn't mean that God is happy or pleased or even looking the other way at our lifestyle. You see... God loves us so much that it's in his mercy 
that God still blesses you in hopes that you'll realize who it is, repent, and return to him. You understand that? There are so many people in our society, in our culture, that are sinning rightfully against God, calling themselves Christian and being blessed. And they go, well, if God was really mad, if he was really unhappy, then, then he would say something. But to be honest with you, we're doing good. Whatever that might be. Think about it in such several contexts. Think about it if you're a boss and you were stealing from the till and you were taking stuff that didn't belong. And, you, and all of a sudden you go, well, if God really thought something, he doesn't care about my, my business. He doesn't care that I'm part of a corporation. He doesn't care. I'm going to put these extra 20s in my pocket. And um, boy, business is great. And we think we know more than God. But just because God doesn't settle his, his accounts right away doesn't mean he's happy and he's blessed with you. Think about it in the context of, of, of living together. Oh, but we're blessed. We're blessed. We're living together. This, you know what? We have all the benefits of being married without being married. And yet God says, no, 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 you need to be married. But I still love you and I want you to repent because this is a beautiful thing. And you go, I think I know better. I think I know better. And then what we do is the same thing Israel does. We go, God must bless it. God must be blessed. He's not mad at us. You see, I've got a good connection with God and him and I. We're, we're just on this great level. I mean, none, none of you have this level, but we have this level. And God goes, I love you. But there's eventually comes a point when I have to say, hey, it's time to put the brakes. And you have to wake up. There's several contexts, guys. There's, there's, there's several. You can, think of, you can think of so many. But what we must understand is that what's worse than God calling us out, right? What's worse is, is that he loves us in the midst of our sin. As a matter of fact, Paul, in writing to the Romans, chapter 2, verse 4, says this, Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it's his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Can I get an amen? Amen. Oh, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And I'll tell you, there's nothing worse than sinning and being blessed and God loving you. Oh, don't, Lord. Why? Because because you're like, and God says, no, 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 listen. I'm not out to get you. I'm not out to just billy club you in the head. I'm not out to stomp on you. I'm not out to make your life ruin. I love you, but I have, my way is so much better. Will you, will you open up your heart? Will you do it my way? And we say, no, 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 Lord, see, you don't understand. I've gone through some horrible things in my life. I tried it your way. I was married once. I was married twice. Now I'm just going to live with so-and-so. I'm not going to do it your way, God. I'm going to do it my way. And God's seemingly blessed because, no, in the end, in the end, that's not going to work. It's going to be worse. Trust me. And you go, well, no, 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 see, Ben, I know people that have been, they've lived together for 30, 40 years, and, and they've never been married, and, and, and they don't take what God says seriously about fornication and all that, and they seem to be blessed, but God hasn't settled his accounts, has he? And if he doesn't settle them in this life, where we, what are we looking for in the next? So we have to be warned. We have to go, okay, 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 okay. Okay. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us. I, I need to repent. I need to repent. So uh, Israel's idolatry and their failure to let the land rest. Right? This is what's going on. Now, history-wise, just for you history buffs, um, let me give you some, some history. Daniel lived about six centuries before the birth of Jesus. Six centuries, okay? During this approximate period, just so you history buffs, um, there was construction on the Acropolis in Athens began. This is what's going on. The Mayan civilization in, had just flourished in Mexico. So you have the Mayans there. Um, Aesop wrote his fables. Confucius and Buddha lived... 
Greek art began to truly excel, the Phoenicians made it first known sea journey around Africa and the Greeks introduced the olive tree to Italy. This is all happening around the world. But meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, things were a bit different. How so? Well, I'm calling this message taken for tonight we discover that Daniel and the others as well as the temple articles were taken into a foreign land. And could you imagine if Daniel was rewriting the speech from the movie Taken? It might go something like this. I know who you are. You are the king of Babylon. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you we don't have any money. But what I do have is a particular set of skills, skills the Lord God of heaven imparted in me, skills that will be a blessing to you and your people. That's what Daniel would have wrote. That's what Daniel would have wrote. And we will see the set of skills that God gives Daniel in chapter 2. But for tonight, let's look at Daniel and the others taken from Jerusalem. Note with me verse 1. Daniel chapter 1, it says, In the third year, in the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, last week we talked in length about people who try to disprove the Bible. Remember? We talked about that. They deceive and they create doubt. we got to remember that. And we learned that the enemy will... Um, go through great lengths to bring doubt upon the word of God. So you see, if he can get us to doubt. If we begin to walk by sight, we will begin to doubt the word of God. You need to understand that. As believers, as Christians, if you are not moving forward with Jesus, you're not standing still, you're moving backward. Come on, somebody. You get that, right? Now, I don't say that so you go, wow, amen, pastor, that's good. No, no, no. It's to exhort you to keep moving forward because you'll go backward. And then you'll wake up and you'll find yourself going, Lord, I'm so far from you. I feel so distant from you. And that's what the enemy tries to do. And once we begin to doubt or discredit discredit the holy word of God, then we ourselves are really walking on dangerous ground. Walking on dangerous ground. You go, okay, you told us that. Now, the reason I bring this up is because verse 1 is those places somebody will point to and go, aha, you see, both Daniel and Jeremiah, well, they can't agree on the year Jehoiakim was captured. Let me just say this to you. I heard it. Pastor Bill said it on the radio today. He said, the Bible does not contradict itself. God does not ever contradict himself. But right here, here's a point. You go, whoa, whoa, why? Why? Okay, ready? Listen. Listen to the way Jeremiah, the prophet, tells us. Jeremiah chapter 46, verse 2. It'll be on the screen. It says, against Egypt concerning the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates in Carchemish, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the, what's that word? Say that again. Year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Aha! Right here, right here. See, do you see? Daniel said it was in the third year. Jeremiah said it was the, ah, you can't trust the Bible. You can't trust the Bible. (laughs) Let's go home. That's exactly where they point to. That's exactly where they point you. And they, the men come and they try to disprove the Bible right here, and it contradicts itself, and you can't trust it. And man wrote the Bible. Well, let me explain the text so there's no confusion. You ready? There is no contradiction in between Daniel, who says this happened in the third year of Jehoiakim in Jeremiah 46, verse 2, which says um, it was the fourth year of Jehoiakim. Okay? Why? Daniel reckoned a king's year after the Babylonian method. How so? He says, in the first year of the king's reign, it begins at the start of the calendar year after he takes the throne. Jeremiah uses the Jewish method. Just two different methods. It was customary for the Babylonians to consider the first year of the king's reign as the year of, listen, ascension and to the call the next year, his first year. So, 
if I was going to be king, oh, I just can't wait to, right? If I was going to be king, it would be, this is my year of ascension, but actually 2023 would be my first year, even though I had been king all year long. You understand that? Everybody get that? You with me? <laughs> you with me? So having spent most of his life in Babylon, guess what? The only natural thing Daniel should use is a Babylonian form of chronology. So there you go. You go, what do you mean? Well, in other words, Daniel is writing from a top Babylonian method, meaning Nebuchadnezzar was a year of ascension. Beginning the next year would be considered his first year. Jeremiah, on the other hand, was writing in a Jewish method, and he was counting every year. Why is Bible study so important? Right here. Right here. There's a big fancy term that we use called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the science of interpreting the Bible so that no one can deceive you. And so now you know when someone comes and goes, hey, wait a minute, now you can't trust the Bible because, well, the book of Daniel says this and Jeremiah says this, and you go, no, 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 Daniel was using the Babylonian method of, of, of counting and Jeremiah was using the Jewish method. You see, and they go, oh, and they walk away. So we have to study the Bible. Why? Here's the, here's the point, church, so that nobody can deceive you. Nobody can deceive you. I think it is very interesting too. Um, Sunday, Sunday, we, you know, we talked about, um, we talked about spiritual attacks. We talked about how the enemies gathered together. We talked all about that. And we talked how the enemy was going to come in and, 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 you know, as soon as I got down out of the pulpit, we had somebody in our shopping center come and say that he was very upset that we were parking in his parking space, spaces, and I just had to smile because I thought, well, I just finished talking about these spiritual, these that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood and so forth. And all of a sudden you have a guy going, well, you don't. And I'm not, I'm not kidding when I tell you this person literally mad dogged us, all, all of us that were in the, in the building at the time. He just looked and I said, for 17 years we've had no problem with spaces, with parking. Oh, well. Oh. Oh, you see, the enemy does not want us to learn the word of God. He doesn't want us to know and grow. He doesn't know. That's just, I mean, you can see it. You can see it being played out. Verse 2, sorry, verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. And some of the articles of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure of the house of God. Now, a couple things are happening right here, and I feel like it's noteworthy. You go, what's that? I want you to note that the Lord gave Jehoiakim into his hand. Do you remember why? You go, yeah, Ben, you just told us. Idolatry. Okay. Israel had been solemnly warned by God's coming judgment upon them because of their idolatry. Now, I want you to note something. Babylon was the center of idolatry. You go, wow, that trips me up. Wait a minute. God took Israel, who was, who was forewarned about idolatry, said, don't do this. And they said, nanny, 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 we know better. Took them into the Mecca of idolatry? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hey, you want it? You want it? Mm. You know what? After their captivity, idolatry was never a temptation for Israel. Ever ever been there? Ever been there? God, I want this. God, I, I want it. Please give it to me. Please give it to me. And God goes, no, that's not for you. No, 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 it's going to hurt you more than help you. No, God, please, 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 please. And then God says, okay, you want it? Here you go. And then you go, that's the worst thing ever. And God's like, I know. And then it's not a problem after that, is it? 
That's exactly what happens on a huge level. Now, here's what I found. Come on, somebody, help me. If God says no, I keep bugging him or go around him to get it myself. If God says no, and he will at times give me what I thought he wanted only to find severe consequences. I have learned, everybody say that, I have learned that when God says no, it's okay. It is. Is it not? When God says no. Because we go, oh, I want it, I want it. It's okay when God says no. He's like, it's okay. Lord, can I, I, whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. We were talking to Tiffany last night and we were talking about jobs and how when we moved here, I was looking for a job and, and I had went, I, well, I had a job when I moved out here and, and I couldn't do the church and do the job. It was so many hours. Um, so I went to the leadership of the church I came out of and I said, what do I do? And they're like, quit. And I'm like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, quit. You, God will take care of you. They went out, you went out to start a church, just quit. So I quit. And we went, <laughs> and we were like, ah. So we were talking to Tiffany, and I remember we were saying, every time I had a job interview, it's between you and one other person. I mean, that went on for like several, between you. So honey, honey, it's between me and one other person. I think I nailed this. Only to go, wah, wah. Honey, they uh, picked the other person. They picked the other person. It's okay when God says no. You, you realize that your pastor and his wife and his family went through a very, very hard time financially. We did. You go, well, maybe you shouldn't have listened to those. Maybe. But I learned something. You go, what did you learn? That I can minister to you guys because I've been through it. And when I tell you it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Oh, how do you know? Because I, I walked right through that. As we look, at, as we look at, at Daniel's friends later on through the fiery furnace, guess what? It's okay. They can tell you it's okay. It's okay. Nebuchadnezzar takes them, but he also takes the items, right? And um, the confiscation of these items and the deposit in the Babylonian temple really was a dramatic declaration by Nebuchadnezzar saying, and here's what he would say, my God is bigger than your God. That's really why he took the articles. He went and he said, okay, I'm going to show this, and, and this, is, this is basically he's saying, was the God of, of Israel able to vindicate himself? That's kind of his, this is, this is Nebuchadnezzar's name, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, my, my God is bigger. This is what he's saying. And bringing the vessels into the house of Nebuchadnezzar's God, drop this down, Nebuchadnezzar's God was Marduk, M-A-R-D-U-K, and this was just basically a natural gesture. This is what we do. I win. What, what Nebuchadnezzar doesn't realize is that God had been moving all the way. Come on, somebody. God had been directing Nebuchadnezzar. Who's Nebuchadnezzar? He's an evil king. God has been directing. Oh, come on, you've got to get this. Why? Because sometimes you sit there and you'll turn on the TV today. Ooh, I'm getting bumped. I'm getting... And you think, what in the world? God is directing every leader in the world. You think we're going, wow. Now, granted, our current administration, I don't understand. <laughs> you know, I'm seriously, I'm like, whoa. Our current president, you know, pray for him. The Bible says pray for him. We pray for him. We, he's a lot of prayer. But... God is in control. Can you guys rest tonight knowing that God is in control? No matter what happens politically, no matter what happens in 43 days, no matter what happens with all that's going to go on in the world, God is in, he's directing that. This is his show. It's his show. You and I, we, we just get to bask in the glory of who God is. That's what being a Christian is. You go, oh, Lord, thank you. Mm. <laughs> so good. This is so good. But you realize that it was a low time for Judah and God's people. It seemed that God, the God of Israel, basically had, had lost out to the gods, right? It's like, oh, I can't believe this. The God of Assyria and Egypt and Babylon. 
But the book of Daniel shows that God vindicating himself at a time when the conquest of Israel might have brought a reputation into disrepute. Now, if you're taking note, notice what it says too. It says that bring him into the land of Shinar. That's just another name for Babylon. Circle that and put, okay, this is Babylon. Why? Because somebody will go here and go, hey, wait a minute. This, did he go into Shinar or to Babylon? Okay. Now, by way of recap, according to Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, besieged Jerusalem successfully. Daniel and his companions were taken away. They were carried away at this time. Look at verse 3. And the king instructed Apenzaz, Ashpenzaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and a quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, and who might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. So guess what? Daniel comes in, they say, oh, you, 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 look at you. And these are good-looking young, young men. And he says, we need to teach you at the University of Babylon. For three years, this is what we need to do. And we need to teach you what to eat, how to think, how to act. You need to act like Babylonians. And their purpose, of course, was to transform these Jewish boys into Babylonian boys, to men. This meant they were uprooted and taken to another country. Think about this. They were on the basketball team. They knew the city. They knew the local hangout. Of course, I'm being silly because I'm trying to put it in modern-day terms. And now they're taken to a country 900 miles away from where they live. 900 miles away. Okay? That's like going to California from here. You grew up... You grew up in Lubbock, you knew everything, you have all your friends here, and all of a sudden, at a, at a drop of a hat, you're living in California. <laughs> but anyways, um, you're given new names, new customs, new ideas. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? They're being taught a new language, and for three years, the Babylonian teachers would attempt to brainwash Daniel and his friends. And so the king instructs Ashpenzaz, Ashpenzaz, and I thought, what is... What does Ashpenzaz mean? Is there something there? Well, I found it very interesting because the meaning of his name means horse nose. Horse nose. You know, could you imagine? Mommies, what do you think we should name him? Horse nose looks pretty good. I wonder if he was, I mean, I wonder if he looked like a horse. I don't know, but that's what they called him. Now, next week, Daniel's going to ask Ashpenzaz, why the long face? Get it? There you go. There you go. So in closing, in closing, I know we only covered four verses, but we're almost out of time. In the movie Taken, do you remember? The father goes far and beyond to rescue his daughter. Nothing in the world matters more to him. His daughter was kidnapped, and the father will not stand for that. He flies all the way to Paris to rescue his daughter. But listen, listen. For Daniel, God gave him a special set of skills. Now, in order to use these skills, Daniel had to have, jot this down, some non-negotiables set up in his life. We're going to soon discover what that was. But the question I have for you tonight is what about you and me? What about you and me? You see, it's pretty much the same thing. How so? We're born, quote unquote, again in a foreign land. Sin has taken us away from our home. Our father went far and beyond to rescue us. He bankrupted heaven and sent his son Jesus to die a sinner's death so that you and I could be set free. So what do we have to do? You ready? 
we have to set up some non-negotiables in our lives so that we can see God use us in the coming days and the months and the years. We have to set up. I'm not going to negotiate. We're not. No, this is what we need to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay close to the Lord. You go, how so? First and foremost, I would beg you to continue to come to church. You have to grow in church. Both Sundays, Wednesdays, whenever there's the, the fellowship is amazing. And I'll tell you why. Because for us, just a Sunday at the park, people got to know each other. And they got to do life together. But we come here so we get equipped. So we learn the word of God. And I know the world says, oh, don't go on Wednesdays. Oh, don't go on Sundays. Oh, don't go on that. No, no, we're part of a body. And if we're the body, man, we lift up each other. We encourage each other. We walk with each other. That's what church is. That's what church is. But then we set up some non-negotiables. Okay, I'm not going to go this way. I'm going I'm to have... But, but it's more than just church. I don't want you to think, Pastor Ben's just trying to grow the church. No, 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 it's more than... It's, it's spending time with God alone. It's you and your Bible and notebook. God, speak to me. He wants to. He wants to talk to you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to share. He wants you to grow you. But our lives are so busy. And we're running from one thing to another. Like, okay, God, I got 15 minutes. Hurry. Amen. I don't want to stand before God going, Lord, I was so busy. He goes, I, I, I just wanted to talk to you. I just wanted to talk to you. I had so much to say. We have to, come on, church, we have to carve out that time and say, this is God's time. This is God's time. You go, Ben, I can't do it in the morning. Then do it at night. Do it at, when was the last time you went on a date with God? What? Just you and God on a date. You don't have to go to eat. You take your Bible. You take a notebook. You say from, from five to six, I'm going to go sit at the park and I'm going to just pray. And I'm going to, I'm just, just one hour. Me and God. Me and God. Me and God. When was the last time? That's what he wants. Listen, God is so sufficient in himself. He doesn't need us. He doesn't sit there and go, oh, I'm just so sad. He goes, I just love you. I want to hang out. Tell me about your day. Tell me about your day. Really? That's cool. And then let him encourage you. And let him fill you with his spirit. So you have non-negotiables and you also have what? You have habits. You have active habits saying, I'm going to draw closer to God. Okay, Lord, I've got 15 minutes. I'm going to give you 15 uninterrupted minutes, God. It's all yours. I'm going to put my phone away. I'm going to put it aside. I'm going to... F- I'm... That's what I'm going to do. And if you get one verse, if you get one verse, God's speaking to you, and then he'll use you. And that verse will come to play later on as you minister to people in our great city. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you tonight for your word, Lord. We thank you. Lord, it's so good to be in the house of the Lord. So good to know your word. Lord, how we can relate so much to Daniel, Lord. We've only jumped in four verses. Lord, you're amazing. Thank you. But Lord, here's our heart. Our heart is, we need to confess our sin to you, Lord. We, we need to put in some non-negotiables. We just need to talk to you, Lord. We just need to talk to you. We need to pray, and we need to worship you, Lord, and we just, Lord, it's just, it's just us. Father, church, I don't want church to be just church. Oh, we went in the Wednesday night, got out at 8.30, we do that every time we go home and nothing. No, 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 Lord, Lord, this is it. Lord, we've, we've heard some great stuff tonight from your word. And so, Lord, what do you want to do with us? What do you want to do with us? So we confess the things that we've been struggling with to you, Lord. Lord, we give them to you. 
your God, we know that you've been guiding your, your beautiful guiding hand. We confess our sins to you, Lord, Lord, I've fallen so short this week. I've blown it so many times. Please come and forgive me. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, we want to reach our, we want to reach our city. We want to reach our city. Father, give me a greater hunger for your word, God. Help me to study your word and, and have a fervency for your word and just, um, and just, just jump in and just, Lord, give me, give me that, give me that. And Lord, more importantly, tonight, help me to be ready, to watch and be ready for your soon return. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, I want to make sure that everybody in this room is right with God. And if you're not right with God and the Lord has been knocking out your heart, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to him. Well, what do I have to say yes to? Well, maybe God's been knocking down your heart and he says, hey, it's time to be right. You need to confess um, you need to confess your sins to him. Ask him to come into your heart. Ask him that, that you want to be born again from heaven and so that you can have a great life here and that you can go to heaven with us. If that's you tonight, if you're watching online, if you're listening by radio, whatever it might be via podcast, if, um, if you're not right with God tonight, I would ask that you would just simply lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I surrender. Would you just pray for me? Would you just pray for me? Just lift up your hand and say, God, I, I surrender my life. I, I heard your word, Lord, tonight. And it's no mistake that you're here or watching. It's no mistake. Just lift up your hand. God will see you. And then God will come and he'll save you. And he'll give you a new heart and a new life. Father, I thank you. Thank you, Lord. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.